Hey, Maniacs, before the show starts, we want to talk about the question that we asked earlier this week on social media. We asked on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram who you would like to guest star other than Stephen Fry. Because, of course, Stephen Fry is obvious. Wow, we were completely overwhelmed with the response for this, so we wanted to add this before the podcast, because we recorded the podcast Wednesday night this week and uh, didn't get any of this into it, so we wanted to add to the podcast with some of your ideas. First of all, right off the top, Benedict Cumberbatch was very popular, as were the doctors. Uh, David Tennant, Matt Smith, and Jodie Whittaker all receiving votes, but no Peter Capaldi. Nobody likes that doctor, apparently. I don't know. I like Peter Capaldi. I think he's a great actor. Probably the the most requested duo was Don French and Julia uh, Jennifer Saunders. French killing Saunders or Saunders killing French. It was uh, victim and murderer all up for grabs there. David Suchet was popular. Joanna Lumley, Emma Thompson, Diana Riggs. I'd love to see her. Maggie Smith. Richard Armitage was extremely popular for some reason. Um, he's good in North and South, and of course he's good in The in the Hobbit, but uh, he used to seem to be very popular for some reason. Uh, included along that uh, Lord of the Rings vein was Sean Bean, mostly discussed, of course, as a victim. Uh, Eddie Redmayne, Colin Firth, Derek Jacoby. I would love to see Derek Jacoby on this show. I think he's a great actor, and he's one of my favorites. Uh, Daniel Redcliffe was, of course, always uh, mentioned. Uh, Sandy Toxvig, who we also mentioned. We'd love to see it. Sandy Toxvig. Alan Davis. Really, anybody associated with QI in any way... In- in fact, the elves on QI, I'd love to see on Midsummer as well. Ringo Starr, Patrick Stewart, Ian McShane, Tim Minchin. Oh, that would be very good also. We really like Tim Minchin. Uh, David Mitchell or Lee Mack, or them both, probably having something to do with lying from their show. And Michael Kitchens from Foils War and other shows. I think he would be great too. A bunch of Americans got named too because we didn't... Uh, putting any criteria on this, living or dead or anything. Uh, William Shatner, who I'd love because I'm a total Trekkie. Uh, Meryl Streep, Vince Vaughn, Christopher Lloyd, and Robert Redford. We just want to say thank you for the outstanding response for this. Again, it completely blew us away. And thank you very much. And now on to this week's podcast, episode 25, Death and Dreams. Bye, maniacs. Mary is a strikingly difficult to look at woman. <laughs> wow. I on the rewatch last night, I just kept going, oh, oh. There's no good angle. No. She's a no. great she's a great actress. She's a great actress, but she's a handsome woman. Oh. Ten thousand. Ten thousand. <laughs> say that. Just say it. Uh, just roll it around in your mouth. Ten thousand downloads. That's how many downloads we've had. It's amazing. It's more than that now. Before I even introduce the episode, I'm like, wow, ten thousand. Ten thousand downloads. That's awesome. Thank it's just you so fun. So much. Thank you, maniacs. I, I gotta say, in my heart of hearts, 
I was happy with a thousand. Mm-hmm. I was I was ecstatic with a thousand. When we hit one thousand, I'm like, do 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 do, and now it's like, wow. And it's it's put the accelerator on. I hate to tell you this, but we're going faster now than ever. <laughs> That's it's not it like, works. oh, well, ten, like I thought maybe, you know, maniacs. I thought there's a finite number of maniacs out there. But apparently there is not a finite member of maniacs. And we love all of the maniacs. It could be catching. It could, well, I got some on me. <laughs> Existing maniacs may be infecting other people, and that would be awesome. I think it would be. You know, when I see somebody saying... For instance, today on Facebook, I saw somebody say, you should listen to their show. It's just awesome. I'm like, you're the best people in the entire world. <laughs> I'm just full of love. Because this is Midsummer Maniacs. Midsummer Maniacs. Hey, Maniacs, how you doing? Awesome. Midsummer Maniacs is a podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week, we dig into the episode of the show, including the murders, the ma'am, the loonies, and everything else. If we you love. say loony, Dean Honeyset might come get you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm a little worried about Dean coming to get me. <laughs> because this episode is Death and Dreams, Season 6, Episode 2. And if you let your kids watch the TV show, they can listen to the podcast. But if the TV show is too much for them, too much Cully and Troy kissing, then the podcast is probably too much for them, too. This is our 25th episode. 25 episodes. So we've done 25 full-length episodes, a trailer, and four mini-episodes. Mm, I thought we were counting those in the 25. No. This wow. Is, this, this is uh, stunning, crazy, amazing. We're like those people on the radio at the beginning of this episode doing the You Can Do It competition. <laughs> what do you think that is? I do not know. First they announced the best mom in the world... And then the radio announcer says, and coming up next, the You Can Do It competition. Well, I'm a little worried about Baby Mark and everybody calling me Baby Mark. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, when did this air? So this episode is episode six, uh, season six, episode two, the 25th episode of Midsummer, filmed in June and July of 2002 and broadcast the 10th of January, 2003. To 9.46 million viewers with Peter Smith directing and Peter Hammond writing. And he's written a couple of them. Yeah. So, and it's in the village of Morton Fendel, though that's said once. Once, yeah. So, yeah, it starts off with a radio show. And then when I was obsessed with Baby Mark, I suddenly got obsessed with the book that is on the table. Because, so we're in Martin Roth's kitchen. No, no. Before we're even shown Martin Roth, I'm, I'm into the book. They pan around his kitchen yep. first. Where's the book? The Origins of the First World War. Yeah, it's now, sitting on the table now, in the kitchen. Now, this is the second edition of this book. Well, that's important. Not the third edition of this book, because I found the exact book <laughs> on Amazon. So it exists. It's yeah, a real it's book. A, it's a real book by Gordon Martell, and, you know, I hope he sells some books out of it. If you're interested in the origins of World War II, of World War One, sorry, pick up this, the second edition, or... The earlier, uh, later, or the uh, earlier editions, all are available on Amazon. Maybe you can get a first edition. First edition Martell. Wow. So anyway, gun. 
<laughs> it's a gun we- wedged in a Welsh dresser, which is not easy to say. Wedged in a Welsh dresser. It's death by Rube Goldberg machine. Yeah, it's fishing line. Where is it attached? I mean, it ends in the gun, but it starts with... The, so it starts at the trigger, and it goes to his belt buckle, mm-hmm. and then to his foot. That's it? Yeah. It's not much of a Rube Goldberg machine. There's no marbles. No. Or dominoes. I thought it was more complex than that. No, and even that, I agree with you and Barnaby that I don't think it would actually go off. Okay, well, think about it, though. Well, And then Barnaby goes up and tugs it. That's the first thing he does. (laughs) Look out, Troy. (laughs) It's a double barrel. Wouldn't it have two shots in it? Uh, no. Okay, so that double barrel probably sends both those shots at the same time. Well, that's lucky, because if not... There's a cartridge waiting for Barnaby who goes up there and goes, what's this line? Let me tell you. So your foot, your foot moves, right? That pulls the string that is pivoting from his belt buckle, right? So that's the, that's like the pulley. Yes. Right. And then that then tugs on the trigger, pulling it forward. Which is, is the, the opposite way. of the way it has to be fired. Yeah. So it must be tied somewhere else behind the trigger for another pivot, another pulley point, yeah, then be. to the trigger so that it would pull it back. Anyway, Barnaby figures out it couldn't work anyway pretty quickly. But w- when we see, and again, you know, this is not a spoiler-free show. We assume that you've watched it. We assume that you've seen the whole episode. Killer children. So you've seen Hannah actually pulling the line to make it fire. In the reenactment. But here we have the actual scene of him dying, and it is different than what actually happened. Yes. Which and is a strange thing to do. Yeah, it's, it's weird. I, and they do it this way to make it look like he set up this elaborate thing to do suicide. But it's a, it's a lie. It breaks one of the rules of mystery writing. Yes, it does. You never lie no, to your audience. You can't lie right? to your audience like that. And Midsummer doesn't usually do that. Now, I know why they did it here. They couldn't show them there in the kitchen tugging the line because no. that, then what's the episode about? Well, there right? are but, magic children who disappear very quickly. That's true. We understand that they can do that. So maybe they did that here. But wow, it's good spatter. Oh, man. The blood in the kitchen is fantastic. And I love how Mary May goes on about it in the bookmobile. <laughs> Can't well, believe any human just said that sentence. If you take one lesson away from Midsummer, it's that you should have a house cleaner. Even if she only comes in a couple days a week, you want somebody to find your body. She'll nick your stuff, though. Yeah, but she'll find your body. I guess so. He would have been there for how long if he hadn't had Mary to come and find him? I don't know. And this is not the first time a housekeeper has found a dead body in But Mary, Mary is a strikingly difficult to look at woman. <laughs> wow. I, on the rewatch last night, I just kept going, oh, oh. There's no good angle. No. She's a, no. Great, she's a great actress. She's a great actress, but... She's a handsome woman. <laughs> what drives me crazy is Barnaby touches some things and doesn't touch other things. Yeah. And then he pulls on the trigger. Which... Well, don't forget later, he just sits on the bloody cushion in his suit. Oh, the bloody cushion. When we were rewatching it, you said, oh, the firearms people would have taken that shotgun away. And I agree with you completely. There's no way in hell they would have left that scene 
with that shotgun well, still they, wedged in that dresser. At the very least, they would have cracked it. So at the, least. It, the very least, they would have cracked it. But I think they would have taken it. I, I agree. For ballistics and everything else. That, they would have collected it. What show? Uh, the, the new episode with the miniatures. Mm-hmm. They had people in there dealing with the gun first. Yeah. Then they could go in. Right. So. Because it's all rigged up like that. It could go off again. Exactly. I don't know a lot about shotguns. I'll admit that. Maybe it couldn't go off again. But I still don't think they would have left a, a firearm unattended. Well, Troy is absolutely sure it's suicide. 100%. Case closed. Why did he go to so much trouble? I don't know. It's complicated. And I, I, there's one part here that I really like that they do, and they do it subtly, which is there's a thing with suicides that they don't want to create a mess mm. to have somebody else clean it up. And he's, Barnaby says, why didn't you just go outside? Which fits in that narrative of the, the suicide not wanting to create a mess. But Martin Roth is a jackass anyway. So. But that's, that's typically what you hear said about women who commit suicide, not men. Well, Martin Roth was just a jackass. Men will make a great old big mess and not care who has to clean it up. Yep. Sorry. Uh, he, he, well, he wasn't playing his cleaning lady. She thinks it's suicide, too. Well, he owes her four weeks of wages, and she comes three times a week. Oh. He's got a nice house. He owed a lot of people. Where? What does he do? I don't know. He's a, a farmer, I guess. does Martin Roth do? He has a nice house, a nice stable, two nice outbuildings. I tell you one thing, he's not making siege engines and selling them at the market. <laughs> Cully's back in her bookmobile. Uh, wow. Okay. It's so, the gossip mobile. It is the gossip mobile. And we'll get to a part where Cully is supposedly driving the gossip mobile. And it's clearly, it looks more like Mary May than it does look like Cully. With you're meaning it looks like a man. Yes. Is what you're saying. So, hey, what did you, didn't you do some research on what you need to know, uh, like what kind of license, or maybe a listener told us what kind of license you need to drive a bookmobile? No, no, I did the research. It's later on when we talk about who's driving the bookmobile. Okay. <laughs> so Tom goes to Sarah Rose's house. And ugh, on rewatching, I, I rewatched the episodes twice before we record the podcast. And every minute of Sarah Roth. I just started to hate her more and more and more because she is okay. At best, she is the poorest judge of male character ever. Yeah. Okay. Cause so, she thinks Gordon's awesome. She marries Roth who everybody hates and everybody he's physically hates. and verbally abusive and sleeps with the women. Right. And then she married, she's going to marry Gordon who she says is the greatest thing since sliced bread, who only has eyes for teenage girls. Mm -hmm. Like, and And uh, isn't even a very good father. There is one moment where he sort of plays with the baby and plays with a mobile. But then later says, I'm at a party by myself because, well, Sarah had to stay home with the baby. Yeah. And so I don't like Gordon, the character, not because he's horrible and, the busy, uh, like stares at young women that that's a problem, but he doesn't need to. Gordon could be a great dad, a great pharmacist, and they could kill him for him being nice to their mom. Mm-hmm. 
And that would be absolutely understandable and believable. Yeah, because these kids don't need a good reason to kill somebody. No. <laughs> His character does not have to be flawed for them to think we should take him they out. They kill their father because he asked them to leave the room. Yeah. Does yeah. that make you kind of worried about our kids? I worry about our kids all the time. <laughs> you never say, would you guys mind leaving the room? <laughs> well. If you do, don't go, don't go rock climbing with them. No. That's all I got to say. No, I'm not going rock climbing with these children. <laughs> so Sarah Roth is played by Jan, Jan Ravens. Yep. And she's, she's not done a ton of acting. Um, but I did find that back in 1998, she was in a rather interesting show called Duck Patrol. Oh, Duck Patrol. Where uh, she was part of a team of police who um, were charged with keeping the peace on the canals. Now, was this a serious show, a sitcom? Like, was it a detective show? It's a dramedy. We, we need to see this show badly. Um, the star of this show is yes. David Tennant. David Tennant, the star of Duck Patrol. He looks about 11. Well, he always looks about 11. A lot of it's on YouTube. You can't find it anywhere else. Oh, my gosh. Well, in the show notes, there will be a link to Duck Patrol. But she plays a young WC on the boat. Duck Patrol. Wow. You know, bookmobiles are for intellectuals. No. <laughs> Gosh. Bookmobiles have such a limited inventory, they have to carry what's most popular and commonly borrowed, which means they are full of mystery novels. Nothing wrong with that. Romance. Romance novels. Nothing wrong with that. And kids' how books. And how-tos. And how-tos. Yep. Common how-tos. And maybe some cookbooks. And that's it. A little bit. DIY. Not intellectual academic research books. Okay. The writing for Troy in this episode is horrific. Yeah. This is not... The last episode, Troy said many things that were intelligent. In this episode, he's a farmer with an axe to grind. There's a lot of problems with the plot in this episode. It's a fun episode, but like the previous one, like the one we covered last week, you don't want to look too close at the plot. It's not like he plays the spoons or anything. You know what I did look closely at, though? What? Speaking of Sarah Roth, so, you know, Gordon is such an accomplished musician, though we don't see him touch an instrument in this entire episode. Not a single instrument. All he can do is wave a baton and march yes. and be a pedophile. Yep. But anyway... There's a lot of musical instruments in their home. And there's one that got me curious. It's a big black horn up on the wall. Yes. And it's sort of S-shaped with like a J at the end. Yes. Now, I'm the musician in this uh, group that we have here. In our I, family. I play a bunch of instruments. And Sarah quite rightly said, what is that instrument there? And I said, a horn. <laughs> it is a horn. Mm -hmm. And it's got a, an apt name. It's called a serpent. Oh. It's made out of wood, but it is considered a brass instrument. Oh, okay. Because it's got a brass... Mouthpiece. Mouthpiece, that's thank why, you. That's why reed instruments are called reed instruments. Woodwinds. Woodwinds, yeah. yeah. This one, it doesn't have a reed. It has holes in it, kind of like a French horn does. Um, yeah, it's called, but it's a bass instrument. Ooh. It's called a serpent. Oh. Now yeah. you know. Now we know. Gordon Lee Smith has the tiniest pharmacy I've ever seen. And Mary May just comes right in and tells him everything. And then he's like, okay, now we're closed. Yep. And she's like, why? You just opened. And he's like, well, now we're closed. Why he couldn't say, Sarah might need me. Yeah. He has a like completely leg legitimate reason to close the pharmacy. But instead, you know, he has to just pretend, oh, what do you know? I'm closing. 
And then we go back to the bookmobile of blood. And I have to tell you, I spent way too much time looking at the signs on the side of the bookmobile. Are they different this time? They are slightly different in that the sign that was episode specific last time mm. is now gone. So they updated it. Well, that's I'm, good. I'm I'm pretty pleased. They removed an episode specific flyer and you're impressed? I well, they didn't leave a sign on a set. So <laughs> in fact, the bookmobile, one of our listeners, Oxford Lass, I think that's mm-hmm. her name, she says that's the bookmobile she remembers coming to the village as a little kid. I can believe like it. Like exactly that bookmobile. It might be the same one. I can believe it. That's they don't fantastic. change a lot. No. They're important though. So we meet in the bookmobile of blood, Hannah and Eddie. Mm-hmm. And immediately you go, Hannah looks like somebody. She looks like Honeysuckle Weeks. Because she's Honeysuckle Weeks' sister. Perdita. Perdita, mm. which means lose in Latin. Lose? Lose. Like I lost something or like you're loose? Not loose, lose. Oh, so like you. Like Purdue in French is lose. Like the opposite of win. Yeah. Oh. That's not a very good name for a kid. No. And didn't we look up the rest of her name, which is also... Well, they've, she's got quite the name. And they have a brother, too. So you may know Honeysuckle Weeks from Foyle's War. She plays Foyle's driver, and she's definitely a main character. He and um, Foyle, the detective, and uh, her character are like the two main characters. And she's awesome. She's really good. Her name, full name, she was born in Cardiff, Wales. And her full name is Perdita Rose Anazutida Weeks. That's a mouthful. That is A-N-N-U-N-Z-I-A-T-A. Did you look up where that comes from? No idea. I thought my Artemisia middle name was a handful. That's quite the middle name. Anatazita? Yeah. I'll, t- I'll stay with Artemisia. Thanks. She's um, Juliet Higgins in the new Magnum P.I., Yes, she is. Mm -hmm. She is. It is an Italian word for annunciation. So it's Catholic. Yeah, it's often referred to the Virgin Mary as receiving the word of Gabriel. And a Tezito. Yeah, she's the token British person in Magnum P.I. Yes. (laughs) But she was in a bunch of stuff. Oh, yeah, she's been in a lot of things. She was recently in a movie about urban explorers that go underground, and it's called As Above, So Below. Yes, it's a... It's set in Paris. And it looks terrifying. Yes. But awesome. Yes. We have to see it. You know what killed Martin Roth? Mm. Lack of special K. Oh, wait a minute. There's a box in the background. He's got a lot of cereal and a lot of mugs. He does. Why does he have so many mugs? And he keeps a pretty nice house for a a bastardly bachelor. That's because he seems to live in his kitchen. I guess. The rest of the house is just looking furniture. Listen to stories about baby Mark. (laughs) You focused in on that, didn't you? The silver cup on the table there by his body belongs to Gordon, we find out. You know, it's missing from the mantle. Take it to forensics. I'm going to the cottage hospital. So I looked into cottage hospitals. Mm -hmm. And the Wikipedia article, first of all, starts out with, these are semi-obsolete in the UK. Oh, yeah, for sure. So the idea is that it's a small country-run hospital run with just a small staff and has very few patients uh, they can either be hospice, there's hospice ones, there's ones for uh, sort of palliative care for older people, and uh, then there's ones for people like 
in this episode who are uh, under caution, things like that. But back in the day, there were cottage hospitals because it would take a long time to get to the nearest big city where there would be a real hospital. It's almost 12 miles away. (laughs) Well, if you were by horse and buggy, that's far, right? So do you think the... Blue Herrings Old Age Home is a country hospital? No, I think it's a an old country home that's been converted into a nursing home. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But a doctor would travel around and go to the cottage hospitals and see patients, but there would be nurses or sisters who would stay at the cottage hospital and take care of the patients on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. So like if you broke your leg really badly in a farm accident, you might stay at the cottage hospital for a few days, Okay, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, if your kid was sick, you might take him to the cottage hospital because a nurse could say, oh, it's an earache. They could, oh. you know, do I that kind it. of thing. Yeah. yeah. But now, yeah, now they're being converted to rehab centers and hospice places and care in the community places. Yeah. Yeah. This one's run by Jane Moore, who's just one of those old, crotchety, dried-up academics. <laughs> As an academic, how did you feel about that? Well, I just thought it was another bad line for Troy, assuming that it was a man why, why first. Why does Troy hate academics? Well, th- what bothers me more about Dr. Moore, bothers me more about Moore, is this whole like insinuation that Barnaby has a thing for her. I think he respects her and he cares for her as a person because she's a nice person. And... Best, it's Troy being jealous. At best, yeah. I don't think the writers are insinuating there's anything going on. No, but Troy does at every when he says your dad's getting a taxi, or so he says. I'm surprised Cully doesn't hit him. Yeah, but there there is a scene where Tom is putting Jane in the car. Yep, and he kisses her on the cheek before she gets in the car that he's about to drive. Yeah, that's a little weird. And I thought, would I be upset if I saw Mark do that? And the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. If I saw you greet someone and give them a kiss on the cheek, fine. Yeah. If they were leaving and you wouldn't see them for a while and you were close to them and you gave them a kiss on the cheek, fine. But if you kiss them and then close the door on them in the car and then get in the car, I'm upset. I can see that. That was one kiss too far, Tom. One kiss too far, Tom. But she seems like a nice lady. She does, and she uh, she ha- uh, hires Tom Parrish, who rudely interrupts them. Wow! I'm like, dude, no, excuse me, no, nothing. I thought you British people were supposed to be nice. He he. Oh, it just rackled me that he it bothers you when them. people are rude like that. Yeah. Um, doctor, and I don't think he meant to be rude. Oh, I do. Oh, you do? I don't think he cared. I think he's one more person who has a claim on Dr. Moore and doesn't like people to be in the way. That might lead to some sort of discussion of the word motive, but that's as close as we're going to get to (laughs) motive in this episode. (laughs) Dr. Moore is played by Isla Blair. Isla's been in a ton of things. Yeah. Two notable things about Isla. She's married to Julian Glover. Do you know who he is? Julian Glover. Think so. He was the key bad man in Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail. Oh, he's the one who chooses. Mm-hmm. Poorly. Poorly. He's also in Game of Thrones. Yes. He had a big yeah. beard in Game of Thrones. Yeah, he's one of the maesters in Game of Thrones. Yeah, they've been married since like the 60s. Okay. By the way, we should stop and apologize to Honor Blackman. Oh, who's not dead. She's not dead. <laughs> 
I listened to last week's episode again, and we are clearly talking about her in the past tense. I'm sorry, she's Honor. Dead, dead, dead. And one of our uh, the people who follow us on Instagram pointed out, and I feel so terrible that we killed off Honor Blackman. She's 94 and still going strong. Thing is, I didn't even have it in my notes that she was dead. We, I think we just assumed because of the obituary and the, her age, and we just rolled with it. I absolutely assumed that she was dead. Yeah. Um. The other thing about Isla Blair is that she was in Space 1999. Oh, Space 1999. Back in 1975. The first show I ever watched in color on a color television set. Okay, she was in an episode the year I was born. Uh, I was probably watching it on my brand new teller television <laughs> that sat on the floor, baby. What's awesome about her in Space 1999, though, is she plays this alien who is bald. And so they they put this, like, headband that goes across her forehead on. To and cover it, this, this yeah, scene. Yeah, and it has, like, all these jewels and stuff on them. And then the bald cap is above it. But she must have had a lot of hair or something because it's very cone-heady looking. Oh, we'll have to put a picture of this in the in the, in the the notes. But then... Once like, I see her, I'll be like, oh, her. Yeah. Because I watched all of Space 1999. But then like the, the bald woman who was in the Star Trek movie, yes. they made her look very beautiful and glamorous, yes. even though she was bald. Yes. That's what they did with Isla Blair in 1999. Okay. Um, Star Trek steals another great idea. So she has like all this purple eyeshadow on and ruby lips with glitter and stuff. Oh. And then this cone head. I'll have to put a picture. She's in the a beautiful notes. woman. I'm sure she is. So, but the, the prosthetic is not that great. And we find out that the killers, who are playing video games, by the way, <laughs> which is a better motive than what we get, are Jane's children. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know they're the killers yet. Hannah, but. Guy, and Eddie. Yeah. Etty. Etty. Because she's not Eddie. Uh, at one point here, uh, Honey, uh, uh, Perdita Week says, uh, get mom a drink. Uh, and I'm like, maybe our children should watch this show more often. I'd be afraid they'd take a sip of it before oh, they gave it to me. Right. Let's go over to a bloody kitchen, because that's where I'm going to take you on a friend date. <laughs> <laughs> He wants her insights because she's a profiler. So Dr. Moore says that Martin was an alcoholic and a gambler, but that he had a lot to live for and he's not, he wasn't a defeatist kind of person. Yeah. And it, I, my jaw dropped when I didn't, I didn't remember this from when I watched it for the first time or the second time way back when, that she goes and visits him quite a bit yep. as his doctor, kind of hoping that he'll come back to the center, to Mercy Park. Yes. And get more treatment. Yes. And he's an alcoholic. So what does she do when she's visiting? Uh, drinks wine with him. She has a drink with him because that's what you do with alcoholics. Yeah, it is. You have a drink. It is. It's what you should be doing. I thought that was a horrible thing to do. Maybe she also runs up and tells Dean Honeysuddy uh, he's a freak. <laughs> hey, you're a loony. That's a good way to get yourself killed. So they find out that he has a whole bunch of drugs in his system and he was unconscious. So he couldn't have done it. It's murder. He has a tricyclic drug called Tenzine. Yeah, what is a tricyclic drug? It is called a tricyclic drug because the molecular structure of it is... Three, so it's a it's got th three hexagons okay. in the molecular drawing of it, the chemical makeup of it. You dried up academic intellectuals in your bookmobiles. <laughs> Tenzine is a real drug. Yeah. Um, though tricyclics aren't very popular anymore as antidepressants, but people still take it. It's just it's just 
kind of been driven out of the market by by newer medications like SSRAs and stuff like that. Next, we have a scene that I just kept asking why. Why is there a band? Why are they marching? Why are they in their uniforms? Why are people walking? Why is Gordon run, leading this band? And more importantly, why does Barnaby stop the band? Because they're looking for Gordon. But they just let him go past the 10 feet extra from where they are and they go to the the village hall and that's it. But it's awesome for Tom to stand up in the middle of the street and hold his warrant card out and say, please stop. And they all run into each other. It's It's great. It's 10 minutes for a joke. I don't care. Okay. I think it sh- it shows Gordon's character and what the marching band means to him, that he walks around town with his chin. Well, he doesn't really have a chin. He has no chin at um, all. His chin part um, up in the air. He's <laughs> <laughs> chinish. The, the chin-esque location of his head <laughs> is elevated, uh, toad-like in the air. Yeah, uh, when as he's he, not looking to kill her children. As he waves his baton around, he's proud of it. It's an important part of his identity of who he thinks himself to be. I guess. And we don't, we wouldn't know that if we didn't see him leading them around. But you're right. There's no occasion. No. But how does a marching band practice if they don't march around? I wouldn't say in the middle of the street with everybody looking. Why not? Jeff Haskins is really pissed off. He throws his rope down. He's upset. (laughs) He has a lot of rope. Rope, rope, rope. That's what I have in my notes. (laughs) I looked and looked for people whose jobs are rope. Yep. I wanted to find that artisanal, <laughs> crazy craft job. Like rope maker, but but with a real, like a name that's derived from Latin or something. Yes, because, you know, there are coopers who make barrels. Yep. They're, they're still out there. Fletchers who make arrows. Right, but... Jeff doesn't make rope. No, he, he just, fondles it. He just likes rope. Oh boy, does he like rope. So though he occasionally makes a rope course. House. My wife likes rope. My too. wife. Yeah. The Ew. wife the wife we never see. Thank goodness. Because she's tied up. Somewhere. Maybe Dean, it. Maybe Dean stole that rope too. <laughs> Excuse me, Mrs. Haskell, I've got to take this rope. <laughs> Look, I'll put, I'll give you some duct tape. Bye. Hold on. Goodbye. Okay. So I could not find a career that was the 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 rope equivalent of a Cooper or a Fletcher. Okay. What I did find, though, is that there is a phobia of rope. Okay. Rope or string. Some people who have this phobia won't even wear shoelaces. Uh, no, okay. It, it's called lenanophobia. Do, do they worry it's going to get caught? Do they worry it's going to get caught around them? Remember, phobias are irrational fears. Or do they think it's like... Snakes on land, for me, are completely fine, but snakes in water are the evil. I do not like snakes in water. Mm -hmm. And I know it's irrational. But do they see rope and string and wire probably as like a snake-like thing? or Well, it could be a couple of things. Some phobias have no cause at all. There's no instigating event that gives you the phobia. You're just born that way. See, that's not for me because snakes in water are horrendous. So <laughs> so you feel justified. I do. Okay. Even though we don't live around any water, there's no, really no snakes around. But okay. If there were, you, you wouldn't like them. So lenanophobia could be triggered by an event. Like if you were tied up at some point and that was traumatic. That. I can see that. You could then attach yeah. that to that object 
and associate the object with the event, and that would give you lenonophobia. Okay. Um, but some people, I think, are just freaked out by string and rope like you're freaked out by snakes and water. It's just, they just are. Okay. The flip side of that, and what I think Jeff really is, is a lenonophiliac. I have an absolute idea of I know what exactly that is. It's the opposite of a phobia. And maybe his wife likes it too. <laughs> well, no, there's a completely different category for people who like to be restrained and people who like to do the restraining but that's not that's not what i'm talking about i'm just talking about people who have aphelia about rope well he does because he's like putting it in his face and smelling smelling it, like it and touching and it and yeah he's he's got a weird attachment to that rope so there's there's your nerd word of the day lenonophiliac gordon has an ambition gordon's ambition is to have majorettes why because he thinks presentation is the problem of the band. The best line in this episode is when his wife goes, I told them it was the wrong idea because this town is too conservative. What is too conservative for drum majorettes? Well, it's funny that you ask. Because <laughs> I looked into this because I thought, you know, our marching band in high school always had mm. majorettes. We had a flag corps. There was a role for people who were not instrumentalists who were kind of ornamental Did they do to the, the marching stuff band. with the fake big guns and everything? Yeah, okay, the wooden cool. rifles and, batons and, and big all. flags yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. Or batons, yeah. yeah. And, and so I, I dug around to see if there really was kind of a, a negative feeling towards majorettes. Mm -hmm. Like if there were people who disapproved of majorettes of them i couldn't find any i could find that there was there are fewer majorettes now but that's simply because women and girls prefer to be in the marching band rather than be ornamental to the marching band yeah um and so there's just fewer people who want to do it yeah i did find one interesting band related to majorettes though it's not related to being conservative okay in a town in georgia georgia they have banned majorettes okay. who throw flaming batons. Well, that's, that's not out of the question. They did it for a good reason. Oh, okay. They recently covered their football field with AstroTurf. Yeah. It is not flammable, by nope. the way. It's safe. But it's overlaid over this stuff called crumb rubber. Yep. That is extremely flammable. Uh-oh. Was, was there a bad time? No. There wasn't a bad time. She, she she was very good, the girl who's throwing the flaming baton. She didn't drop it. Okay. But just imagine what would happen if you did. Oh, my gosh. If that fire got got into a seam in the turf and lit that crumb rubber on fire. Okay. The smell alone. It would be horrific. Yeah. But there would be fire under the grass. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Made drum majorettes running and screaming. Conservative or not, nobody yep. is pro crumb rubber fire. Nope. <laughs> no, that's that's not a conservative or liberal issue right there. But seriously, I dug into like UK bands majorettes, disapproval of majorettes or drum corps. And I mean, I did every kind of Google News search you could do and it's I couldn't find anything. It's just a weird, strange line. People are not too conservative in Morton Finley for majorettes. They just know Gordon's creepy. Yes. And they don't want him anywhere near young girls in well, skirts. Again, it's Sarah with her stunning lack of judgment of men. Maybe she knows he's bad and just hasn't admitted it. Uh, Troy needs a ride out to the Mercy Park. So Cully gives it to him. In yep. Birdie. 
right? She drives no, them no, in no, birdie. No. This is when she drives. Oh, them that's out right. In the she drives them in the bookmobile. Yeah. When she drives them out in the bookmobile, we actually see the bookmobile move, and we see Troy in the front, and then we see a linebacker from the <laughs> Chicago Bears <laughs> pretending to be Cully. This is clearly not Cully. But if you put a man in the same colored T-shirt and a baseball hat, it's Cully. Wait a minute. Cully didn't have a baseball hat on. Not oh, before, wait. but now, now she, she does. does. <laughs> she borrows it from like, the linebacker. Wow. So they talk a little bit about Dr. Moore, and we find out that her husband died in a climbing accident. Just well, three years ago, right? Yeah. Like, we know things are not going to go well. So here's what I was thinking when I initially saw this episode. I thought, oh, the kids are weird because their dad has died. So now they're kind of strangely attached to their mom because they lost their dad and they don't want to lose their mom. So they're protective and attached. That would be a motive. That would make sense. Well, no, it's not really. I mean, it wouldn't be normal. But it would make sense. It wouldn't excuse it, but it would explain it. Yep. Right? Oh, I got lots of possible motives here, but none of them are what they go with, which is, we were crazy before dad even got here. Yeah. (laughs) When I see them kind of like taking care of her and like get mom a drink and stuff, I think how sweet that they've become so attached to their mom because their dad has died. They're taking care of her. Yeah. They know she's got this big project with the you know the the hospital she and she's said doing she a was lot and they're they're wrecked good by it she yeah. says she was wrecked by it but no we don't get that no hey it's time for a party mhm and i totally forgot about the party when i watched this episode rewatched this episode i'm like there's a party in this oh i guess there is and then i i remembered the spoons the spoons so so there's a a a fiddler yes and then Troy spontaneously starts to play the spoons with him. Yes. Now, yep. I, I have to ask. I've never tried to play spoons. Yes. I've played drums, but I've not played spoons. Yes. You see him in a wide shot playing the spoons yes. in kind of a simple way. And then there's a close shot of his hands doing something more complex. Yes. Are those his hands or not? I actually believe they are because later on, at the very end of the scene, he does the same move. Does he have the pinky ring on? I don't know. Because that would be proof. I don't know. But he does basically what's a trill with the the spoons. And he does that in a wide shot later in the, at the very end. So it is him. I I actually think it is. I'll tell you one thing. If I wanted to attract Cully's attention, I'd be playing the spoons because she is looking at him (laughs) like he is fresh meat. He has a hidden talent. Spoons. That's how I felt first time I saw you play guitar. Okay. But I didn't appreciate the fact that you could do it until I saw you do it. But spoons, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to say that spoons are equally as mesmerizing as an electric guitar, but I would not have guessed that Troy could play the spoons. So they take Birdie out to Mercy Park because Troy has something to prove. What does he have to prove? Well, he's drunk. Yes. And he wants to, I think he wants to try to duplicate what Dean did when he swung down and knocked Parrish over. Why? Because he's drunk. Okay. He can't do it anyway. No. But Parrish is dead. Yep. So it doesn't matter. Parrish is up there and Cully finds the body after they make Smoochy Smooch. They have one kiss. And it's their last kiss. Yeah. Their only kiss. This is it. Like, I think she kissed Troy and... 
in her mind, she thought, it's a little bit like kissing my brother. <laughs> I just wish we had got to see the scene where Troy and Cully have to explain to Tom what they were doing there. Yeah, so... We don't get to see that. Um, Cully was up, and I was helping her rear end. No. Uh, Do you want to know about before or after we were kissing? Oh, oh wait. Oh, did I say no. that? <laughs> Parrish is drowned, drug all the way across the the survival course, up onto the platform that Troy can't even climb up on. Guy is crazy, incredibly strong. Yeah. Because all Eddie can do is giggle. Yeah. So he didn't, she didn't help. Kill him! (laughs) Kill him now! (laughs) But yeah, Guy is like superhumanly strong. Just thinking logistically, let's say they get him, they get him to the platform. They hand him up. He's not a great big guy, right? So between the three of them, if Guy got up on the platform and reached down and got him under the arms, he's dead weight. Yep. If the girls are on the ground and they're kind of lifting him up, maybe they can get him up on the platform. But now they've got to craft a noose, tie that around the branch, and lift him up in the noose in a way that he could have tied himself. We don't really see that branch, but they're supposed to be faking a suicide here. Yeah. The fact that he's wet, I think, kind of messes that up. It's, the, the whole thing's wrong. And even more wrong is Dean sees the whole thing and doesn't say, hmm, should I go to the police? No, he uses his semi-insane logic and okay. says, if I take away all of the ropes. All ropes ever. They won't be able to kill anybody else. Secretly. Without a truck, I'm going to pick up every rope in town. The truck is not the problem. Well, when he goes to Jess Haskell's place, it is. Witnesses are the problem, that nobody sees him carrying a bunch of rope around. He's got too many pictures of bodybuilders in his room anywhere. And Bruce Lee. Yes. He's got Bruce Lee. So they go to see Jeff the Rope Man, finally. And this is where he says all the crazy things, including my wife likes rope. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But then the scene does this weird change of tone because he says, why would Martin Roth in business with you? And he was like, it's because I made siege engines. And then there's like a promo shot of the siege engines and Barnaby picks one up like, oh, I do like these siege engines. These are clever. In the siege engines, there are a bunch of trebuchets Mm -hmm. and a Roman ballista, Mm -hmm. which looks like a giant crossbow. Right. Oh, and then later when the ropes are gone and Jeff is showing Tom that even the ropes on the siege engines are gone, he picks up a, um, it's not a siege engine, it's a platform that's for a hangman. Yeah. And the rope is gone. So, So they built that too. So Dean takes every bit of rope. Every rope. Even clotheslines, which are not even rope. They're plastic covered wire. Yet, when he goes to cut the first clothesline from Young Mother... He walks right past a rope ladder. Yeah. Maybe he went back and took it. I I guess. Because <laughs> he took Mary's clothesline too, and she was so eager to show it to the police, she just left her clothes in the mud. Just <laughs> left them in the mud. <laughs> That'll show them. Not only, exactly, not only do we have a party in this episode, but we have a fet kind of. A carnival? Let's have a carnival. And remember, where the, it's fate. Fe, yes, it's a fate. fate. Let's have a carnival where this dude died. Yesterday. The night before. Yeah. 
And they're in the same yard, garden, grassy area where oh. they found the body. Like Sacco's in the background doing Wouldn't stuff. Wouldn't they cancel that? I Wouldn't would, the police cancel it? I would think even though there's band and face painting and there's a bouncy castle. There's a there, big bouncy castle. There's ice cream it's in, and there's a teapot. <laughs> Weird teapot. <laughs> but the best part about the fate are the yobs. No. You, you, okay, that's your favorite part. You tell us about the yobs, and then I'll tell you my favorite part. In of the, the background fate. of one of the talk scenes between Barnaby, Joyce, and Dr. whatever her name is Moore. Dr. Moore, where there's no jealousy shown by Joyce at all. No. I don't know what uh, Troy just annoys me in this episode. In the background, there's a set of stocks, mm-hmm. and there's a bunch of yobs trying to force one of them into the. Uh, the stocks. Well, and they're later on the um, tug of war team too. Yes, the yobs are on the tug of war team later on. My favorite part of the carnival is the scenes of Dean eating the little cakes. What is he doing? <laughs> he doesn't know how to eat. And if he's so into his body and Bruce Lee and bodybuilding, why is he eating cake? Because he wants to shove it in his mouth while staring. But then he gets mad at one and he just slams it down on the ground. <laughs> Damn cake. Like, what did that cake ever do to you? He gets angry at that cake just like he gets angry at the cricket pads later. Oh. <laughs> These are stupid. Cake. It's like the, cake, the, the scene direction was Dean acts crazy with cake. Okay, I got this. They just said Dean be creepy. Speaking of which, we haven't said Dean Honeysett's played by Paul Brennan. Yep. He's in the new Dracula. Oh, he is? Okay. That's not the role I was really excited to find out okay. about. He, uh, you know me, I'm really, the Alien movies are my favorite movies yeah. of all time. He was in Alien 3. Yeah, there's a lot of Midsummer people in Alien 3. On like, the prison Lug planet. Is in, Lug is in Alien 3. Yeah, on the prison planet, he plays Yoshi Troy, um, and he gets killed by the alien when they're trying to trap it by running around in the halls and the vents, yeah. trying to like lure it this way and that way so they can put it in the big lead vat. Yeah. And he goes around a corner without looking in Oh, so he's in most of the movie. Yeah. He's a bit in a lot of stuff. So after the fete, which included the... Fate. The fate. After the fate, <laughs> which is, has the reveal of the clotheslines being stolen mm-hmm. and has Dean going crazy because somebody called him a loony. Mm-hmm. He tries to strangle mm-hmm. McMay. Gordon goes back to the hall and basically does the whole creepy... Thing. That phone call. He calls Hannah to tell oh, her. Oh yeah, like, a package has arrived. A package. <laughs> <laughs> you want to come? You want to come see my package? You want to come <laughs> see it? It's just so creepy, and he doesn't need to be creepy. No, he could just say, "Hey, the the majorette uniform arrived. Would you want to come over and try it on?" He could still be a pedophile and not be that creepy. He could. <laughs> but Sarah He's, doesn't know where he is. Yeah. Are you in there, Gordon? Because he's missing overnight. I'd be banging on that door long before then. Oh, my gosh. Even with the baby. And they find him hung up, moving. He plays a pretty good dead body. He does. A pretty good dead body for the most part, but he's moving at the beginning. I think Parrish is better. Yeah. But he does pretty well. Because it's got to be uncomfortable hanging on that door. It has to be. I mean, I know they have a harness on him underneath his jacket and everything. He's not really hanging by his neck, but it still can't be comfortable. And he's there for a while. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we've got Union Jack. Check. We've got bands. Check. We've got pedophiles. Check. 
We got a fate in the manor house. Check. We got a party. This is a midsummer episode. What else do we need? Cricket. Yeah. Gotta have a cricket game. What has this had anything to do with cricket before this moment? It's just that, you know, the more children are very involved in village life. And Guy plays cricket. So his sisters have to go support him Where and bring go- a picnic. Where oh. are we going to play cricket? We'll play cricket on the cricket ground, which is near the bag laundry? <laughs> what are no, those? No, it's not a bag laundry. What is it? Those are burlap bags being hung up to dry after being washed because they were filled with some kind of crop. Probably hops. I don't buy it. Okay, I did the research. Okay, also... They only go down halfway. Yes. They're only three feet, four feet long. They don't go down to the ground. You would see someone standing behind them unless you're Troy. Barnaby finds the majorette. This is after he's been drugged, fell asleep in his car for hours. Nobody bothered to wake him up when the game was over. No, no, no. He finds the majorette uniform before. Oh, that's right. And lays it out on the car seat and then goes and has tea with the girls. You know, know, how do you know you've been doing the Midsummer Maniacs podcast too long? Is when uh, Barnaby picks up the majorette uniform and holds it out in front of him. And Sarah and I both exclaim at the same time, he's going to put it on. No, we both said that won't fit (laughs) because he holds it out facing him. And then he turns it around and holds it up. Yeah, it's not going to fit him. Which is what you would do if you were then going to hold it against you to see (laughs) if it was your size. And now I just want to Photoshop Tom wearing that little lavender and pink majorette (laughs) costume. I may have to do that. Yep. (laughs) But I can't believe that after Hannah drugs him with the tea. oh, Oh, so here's a question I have. Let me see what your opinion is on this. So Hannah and Eddie are there on the blanket. Uh, Hannah brings out the tea. Yep. She's bringing out the tea before she knows Barnaby's there. Yes. Okay. So she's got the tea on the tray. She brings it out. Barnaby comes over. She says, yes, please join us. Would you like a cup of tea? He says, yes. And she hands him one that is exactly the way he likes it. And he starts to drink. And Eddie says, wait a minute. That was my tea. So were they killing Hetty? When did Hannah drug the tea? Well, I'll tell you when. She said... Because they were watching the game, she said, Mr. Barnaby, sir, what are those sacks on a clothesline over there? And Barnaby turned to look, and the drugs went in oh, his tea. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. No? No. Because he comes over and he sees Haskell drinking tea in the moodiest way possible. <laughs> and Dean acting like these cricket pads have caused him a personal Going offense. Going to attack the cricket pad. Just one leg pad. Then he sees the girls. Then he, then Haskell points over to the, no, the, the lawnmower guy. Ah, oh, I got to watch that scene again. What order does that happen? I think the lawnmower guy points him over to the clothesline before he even sees the girls on the rug. So I maybe they so. saw him first maybe, and drugged the tea. Maybe, yeah. No, because Hannah doesn't have the tea yet. <laughs> and it's Eddie's tea anyway. She walks out with it. Yeah. So Hannah must decided to drug Barnaby without telling Eddie. Yeah. So she must like have it in her pocket. Did they put the, are they criminal masterminds by putting the majorette uniform on the bag line to draw Barnaby to it? To bring him to the cricket pitch? Yeah. So they could drug him if he happened to drink some tea? Yeah. Wow. Oh, there's some problems here. That's pretty smart. But, and, and Eddie is not smart. She's a psychopath. Yes. So my 
governor says he's going to go to the cricket pitch and figure this out. Meet me there. Meet me there. Hours later. Apparently, but just in time. Because <laughs> when Troy pulls up, yeah, it's pitch black, but he drives right onto the cricket pitch with his car. And shines the light where Barnaby is. And honks the and horn. And the children. Disappear. Disappear. Well, they run off. But they have legs that are longer than the back. And they run off into like a clear area. Yeah. You would so you'd be like, there they go. Yeah. Let's chase them. Troy. Well, and it also seems to, to take Tom quite a while to realize that Hannah drugged him. If I wake up having drunk some tea, sitting in my car in a place where I didn't intend to fall asleep, my immediate thought would be somebody drugged me. Who drugged me? The person who gave me something. Who gave me something? Hannah. Oh, I know. Now that they've almost strangled me, I'm going to go to the poisoner's house for some care. Why Tom is smarter than that. to Moore's house to get care? Tom She's is smarter than that. She's not a doctor like that. No. <laughs> and... And she does him no care anyway. I'm looking at the faces of the kids because they're kind of behind him while she's checking out his neck and they're looking at each other and I'm thinking they're not giving it away right now, but they should be. Yeah. They should be looking at each other like, damn it, you should have done a better job. Like, ah, he got away. They should be out of breath from running all the way home. It's just, ugh. I, I applaud creepy kids. I think that's cool. I think the fact that they work together is cool. I think Eddie is incredibly creepy. I think their motive is non-existent. Yeah. So just to clear up a couple of things, the rope's being stolen by Dean. So Killer Vision is both Dean and the little kids. Yeah. Okay. They find all the rope. They interrogate Dean and he gives it up that there's three of them. And then Barnaby knows that the space project isn't going to be complete. (laughs) Eddie's big space project that she's carrying around when she gets off the bus. So waiting for the bus uh, is Tom and Troy, and they bring the kids into the cop shop. Mm -hmm. Now, we have to assume that Hannah and are over 18. Not Eddie. Not Eddie. Hannah and Guy. Guy. We have to assume that Guy is over 18. They're at least age of consent to be questioned by police. I don't know if that was 16, 17, 18 at this time. I don't know. They they interview Hannah without her mother being there, and she puts up a fight for about 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> All Tom has to do is say, we know everything. We just need you to confirm it. And she's, and she's like, oh, oh, yeah. But if I had a dollar for every time she rolls her eyes, I'd be rich. Oh, my gosh. Or appears in floozy clothes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gordon wasn't the only... Okay, so... Guy in town who liked his women young, apparently. Yeah, but, okay, I understand all of that. And I understand that there are men who find that attractive. But did they... It felt voyeuristic how many times they showed her dolled up. Uh, it was just the one time when she's walking into Martin's. No, when she shows up at Gordon's, she's kind of wearing skanky clothes, too. But to be honest, what she's wearing is no worse than any 17-year-old going to a party. I know. It just felt voyeuristic the way they lingered it just, on her. It just stuff. feels gross because you know what she's doing and what they what the men have in mind. You should feel gross. Okay. That's okay. Well, then Hetty is like in the kitchen at Martin Roth's house screaming for them to kill her. Eddie, kill him. Eddie is sick. This is what we are supposed to understand. While 
their father was married to their mother. Their biological father, their real father. They grew jealous of the time that he wanted to spend with his wife. He was so clingy with mum. That that made them homicidally insane. So much so that they pushed him off a cliff or off of a um, cliffside they were climbing. And what I want to know, okay, is that was three years ago. Mm-hmm. And then Martin Roth is at the center. Right. Why on earth did they do nothing for three years and then suddenly go on another killing spree? Because she was spending a lot of time at Martin's. She was stopping by there and having a glass of wine with an alcoholic. And they thought that there was a relationship forming. They didn't realize that she was then there. why did they kill Gordon? Because they were on a roll. <laughs> Because once you, once you start, you can't stop, you know? I guess. It's like potato chips. Ugh. They killed Martin, and then they're like, ooh, let's kill Parrish. That was kind of fun. The, okay, let's kill somebody else. Let's see who we can get away with. They were going to kill a policeman. The scene where they kill Gordon, where they're playing the instruments while Guy strangles them, is fantastically crazy, batshit crazy, yep. Midsummer. Yep, with Eddie and the bass drum. Yep. You know how I know she's psycho? She plays the bass drum. Not just that, and not just her giggle, and not just that she thinks it's funny that her siblings killed their dad. The reason you know, the one piece of evidence you need, all you need to know. Yes. To prove that Eddie is a psychopath, is that when they break into the pharmacy to get the tanzine, she steals sugar-free chocolate. What kind of crazy person does that? She's broken. Dean, get off me. (laughs) She is... Thoroughly broken. What teenager steals sugar-free chocolate? It's the PS1 that drives them all insane. <laughs> it's a driving game. No one will ever take our mom away from us. So no then one. we have a weird moment where Joyce helps Barnaby tell the doctor more, and that's it. And then it ends on a kind of crane shot. I have to say, Dr. Moore's not a very good doctor. No. Because she lived with those three kids and did not pick up on the fact that they were getting weird. Yeah, like... And they don't hide it very well at no. all, especially Eddie. She is like unable to, to hide it. When they go to tell her that someone had died in the village, they are giddy with excitement. Yeah, but, you know, if they don't really know him, kids can be like that. I, I listen guess. to true crime podcasts. I'm like, ooh, this is ghoulish. <laughs> I got to listen to this. Yeah, <laughs> you know, when it's removed from you. That, if they only did that, I wouldn't think they were too creepy. It's just the whole thing's creepy. But, Wow. I understand why he wants Joyce there with him at the end. Not only does he have to say, your three children, all three of your children. Murdering psychopaths. Are murdering psychopaths. But they also killed your husband. Yeah. The love of your life. Yep. And you're a psychiatrist and you didn't notice that they were crazy. Like, it's going to break that poor woman. Yeah. She's going to lose it. Best corpse. Before we go to best corpse, can I tell you something else kind of interesting? Yep. So Sarah Roth lives in, everybody lives in a little thatched cottage. Yes. Oh, even, yes. even Mary May lives in a multi-million dollar thatched cottage. Of course, it's a village. And she's just a housekeeper. Yep. But Sarah Roth has the thatched cottage. And you pointed out to me, I didn't even notice it before. They pan from the roof down to her door when Tom goes to visit her the second time. That's right. And there's a cat on her roof that's made of thatch. Yes, like a... Like a topiary, but made out of thatch. Yes. They're actually called thatch finials. 
Thatch finials. Or straw finials. Okay. And they're decorative things that people can add to their thatched roofs. They're usually on the ridge of the roof, kind of like where you would put a, a weather vane. Now, does the th- guy who thatches the house make these? Is mm-hmm. it an artisanal thing? Yep. Um, they're almost always animals. Mm-hmm. So I found rabbits, birds, cats, foxes, and pigs. I need to have a big thatch. A thatch pig. <laughs> I need to have it. And according to heartofenglandthatchers.com, <laughs> thatched animals are not only beautiful, they can also be useful. Okay. Thatched animals can deter pests, but only if you move them around a bit. (laughs) 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 Guy out on the roof, moving them around. I think they mean you have to change their position on the roof. I know, but... But I'm like, okay, so a fox might scare away birds. Maybe a cat might scare away birds, but a pig... Like, and they're the same color as the thatch. It's not like they're painted or anything. No, but they don't have to be all that realistic to actually be useful in deterring like crows or whatever. But And so if they're along the ridge line, you get the silhouette and it looks like a cat is on the roof and maybe a bird might not land there. Yeah. Right? But a pig? <laughs> you know, the natural enemy of the pig. Yes. It's a is a roof dweller. Don't go up there. There's thatch bacon. <laughs> My best corpse would, I think, be Parrish. So that is... Tony. Tony. Yeah. See, I still like Gordon. I do. He spends a lot of time in the background, not moving. But he does move. He does move at first. A little bit. A little bit. And Parrish has that great tongue-out, blue-face-looking kind of appearance. He does. Which I thought was good. So, after the credits. Huh. Jeff's got to get all of his rope back. Rope guy gets his ropes back. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what's in your notes? (laughs) I don't think he'll be taking any ropes back to Mercy, though. I don't think they'll be building the survival course again. All the kids go to juvie. Um, Two of the kids should go to prison. If they They were old enough to be interviewed without an adult, they're adults. They They, go to prison. They go to... And Eddie should go to a nut house. Yes. Filled with sugar-free chocolate. Jane... Is terribly alone. And broken. Just her. And plus, I'm sure Mercy Park is going to fall apart. She's solely responsible for it. Her chief counselor is dead. She's broken. A widow. Cully still loves Troy if she appears in another episode. I don't know. I think she's over Troy in this episode. There better be a bookmobile in the next episode or I'm I'm out. (laughs) You don't realize how, how few episodes Cully's in until you... Start watching them. She with was that. gone for two whole seasons. Yeah. yeah, but but looking back, I would have said, "Oh yeah, Cully doesn't appear in every episode, but she's in every season." Yeah, and that's just not true. No, Joyce gets to make some tea, you know, and maybe help yep. a little bit. No one gets paid by Martin Roth. No, nope. Mary and Mick get to run the pub and rehang their flag. Yep, that's it. And they have to give back the porcelain figurines that they thought they could carry home in a plastic grocery sack. So once again, I got to say, the number of the episode is 10,000, because that's insane. Thank you (laughs) all so much from the bottom of our hearts. Absolutely. Yes. We have a few better written episodes coming up. I have to say, this one and the last one are not the best written episodes. There's There's some some problems with motive and things like that. Yeah, I mean, they're still Midsummer, so they're still awesome. But there's some problems, but we have some better ones coming. 
And the next episode, episode 26, is season six, episode three, which is Painted in Blood. Oh, yeah, baby. Where uh, Joyce is in the village green painting the windows. Uh, This is one of those Joyce gets a hobby and people die episodes. Yes, it is. So thanks for listening. Thank you all so much. Uh, be sure to give us uh, feedback and ideas. We're on the Twitter, the Instagram. We're on the Reddit sub sub um, subreddits and the Facebook pages. You know all where those we things. are. Yep. We love to hear from you. Absolutely. So until next time, bye maniacs. Bye maniacs. an apiary that's a beehive no not apiary <laughs> the things that they make animals out of um a topiary topiary yes <laughs> i knew it was some airy, airy. <laughs>